0: What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? I'm Gerald Daly and this is The Drop-In. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I thank you guys a ton, because you guys and gals are the reason I do this show, are the reason we do this show, is to fire y'all up to, you know, just get off the couch and make life happen. That's the key. That is the key to this life. It's your choice. It's your choice. If you're in the gutter, that's choices you've made. If you're on top of the world, that's choices you made as well. And just take that personal accountability. Take responsibility for your own life. Every guest that has been in the NRM studios with me has shown you that they have taken personal responsibility for their lives, and most of them made the most of it. Of it, And that's what I want to inspire you to do. So thank you so much for tuning in today. Another crazy, wild, weird show because every guest brings something different to the table. If you've watched past episodes, you know this, you know each guest. If something doesn't resonate with you, try the next episode. And if that doesn't work, try the next episode because we have something That can, I mean, touch every single person on this planet, and that is the goal. To reach every person in every continent and inspire them to make the most of their life. Seems pretty simple. Seems pretty freaking simple. But And today is no different. Today, I have Harris Edwards Jr. in the studio today. And this dude, I mean, I'm blown away you know the emoji where your head is like an atom bomb that's what my head was doing when he sent over his bio cuz it was like 27 pages of a of things that he has won since 1982 dude is a kickboxing machine and he is in studio today because the 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 biggest thing and I I talk about it a lot with other folks you know I've been riding a skateboard 35 36 37 years whatever it is 20 years as a pro and I think longevity there's something to that. When you stick with something and you become an expert, there's a a bunch of people say 10,000 hours makes you an expert. I don't think really I'm an expert, but by statistics, I guess I could be, but I'm always learning. And Harris is no different. I bet when we talk with him today, he's going to talk about how he is learning as he teaches others the craft of whooping people in a ring. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. So thank you again so much for tuning in. Make sure you check all the episodes, all of them. Share them with your friends, you know, share them with your mom, your dad, your grandma, your grandson, whoever, because we bring information here that you can get nowhere else but on the drop-in and... Uh it is awesome. It is a pleasure uh, to come to you every single week with a new and exciting story of where people start, how they got to where they got to, and it's it excites me because I'm learning as you're learning. I meet these people all over the place. Some people I meet for the first time in a skateboard park, some on a telephone, some just are introduced to me, and it is uh, a learning experience for me the whole show. And a lot of times when the camera comes back to me, you'll see me like my jaw is on the microphone because I can't even believe it. People who I call friends, I can't believe their life story. So just sit back, relax, get your notebook out because there's going to be some notes you're going to have to take today on the show. But today... Uh, Like I said, man, this gentleman, he has been kickboxing and whooping people since 82, and now we're decades, decades later. The world to compete in kickboxing. And kickboxing started in the 50s in Japan. I did a little research. It started in the 50s. I couldn't find a definite year, but that's what I found. 50s in Japan. Well, in 82, Harris started competing, and again, he competes some more. So without anything else, I would love, and it is my honor to introduce you to Harris Edwards Jr. Harris, thank you very, always good. It is. thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, how's the day been rolling along? It's been going good, man. got up this morning and had some
1: good um, workout in and got some sauna in and started my day off fresh. And What's going on in Niagara Falls in a few weeks? Yes, um, this coming uh, Saturday, I weigh in. Sunday, my son weighs in. It's the um, uh, 2019 World Championships for the W mission. Um, Richard Plowden is the uh, president of the United States team, so there will be... Um, competitors from all over the world coming in to compete against some of the best in the world to try and bring home gold medals.
0: Now, I have to say, from experience, I think you would have a little bit of an edge versus people flying halfway around the globe to compete. You get to drive, what, four or five hours to Niagara Falls. I think that's a little nicer trip. (laughs) Yeah, it is a nicer trip. I
1: actually enjoy flying, but it's pretty nice to be able to hop in the car and have someone else drive me about five, six hours, and I'm there.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I don't mind the drive across. You know, are you going through Canada, or are you going to, going to go around through New York?
1: I think we're going to cut through Canada. Everybody's got the passport, so we're good. I think it would be a little bit quicker to go that way.
0: Well, coming out of uh, Detroit, Michigan, it isn't too bad. We get to go across the Ambassador Bridge. It's only 20 minutes down the road, and then cut straight across t- uh, to Niagara Falls. Not a bad drive coming out of Michigan. But let's start right at the beginning, man. Where did you grow up? How did you get into uh, uh, life? How did life start for Harris Edwards <laughs> Well, I often tell people um, I was actually born in um,
1: Larnburg, North Carolina, um, and my mom and dad moved me out of that area about a week from a year old to Detroit, Michigan. So I consider Detroit home. Been there my entire life, most, mostly um, high school, first years of college. Um, then I transferred out, out of state to finish school. And my martial arts had me sex with my uncle, Otis, um, who was a very, very good practitioner in Kung Fu and Judo and my mom would always brag about how good he was so i inspired to try to get as good as him (laughs) you saw
0: what the adults were doing you said i want i want a part of that early on was it uh tough to get the adrenaline going to keep it going uh as a youngster no not really i've always been um
1: when i went to um south carolina to visit my uncle for the summer just hanging out with him, my grandparents i spent a lot of summers with my grandparents most of the grandkids did their entire summer it was just a blast and he grabbed the hold of my little behind and flipped me around like a rag doll. I'm like, wow, this is pretty impressive. I wonder how you did that. So I told him, you know, after he jacked me up, um, that I was going to come back and beat him someday. And well, he, he remembers it like it happened yesterday. So sure enough, as I got back to Michigan, I told my mom that I wanted to start learning some martial arts from some, some, somewhere, from somebody. And it happens to turn out that a gentleman by the name of Anthony C. Goddard, who happens to be like a fourth cousin of mine, is a um, master in what's called go G-O-T-I School of combative Arts. It's a Chinese-based martial arts system, started off as a grappling art, does a lot of kickboxing, a lot of kung fu. And I was working at a gas station over on Illinois um, Avenue. And I'm off of Seven Mile. And I went in there and they said, yeah, hey, we got a cousin that's really good in martial arts. I said, oh, man, really? I want to check him out. So he comes by and he says, I understand you're going to learn some martial arts." I said, yeah. He said, show me something. I said, all right. So I threw a move at him, next I know I was on my back. I'm like, what just happened? He says, if you're going to throw something, throw it like you mean it. And how old were you around this time? Probably about 16. I was um, eighth grade, ninth grade. Okay. And I'm um, like, oh, yeah, okay. So um, I signed up, you know, and I got my way over there as much as I could throughout the summer and throughout the weeks. And the funny story is he thought I was going to quit. And I was a little guy, I mean, probably 115 pounds, wet. Not even 5'3 in high school. And he's like, yeah, you're, I figured you would probably quit pretty quickly. And subsequently, I did and All my friends did. And I stuck it out, and it worked out.
0: You know, I have to, uh, I'm chuckling in my head, because I started skateboarding about 11. And twelve and you know thirteen got real into it. Fourteen, I was sleeping under the half pipe at my buddy's <laughs> house, you know. And around that age, around sixteen, like you're saying, you know, things are changing as a yes. as a person. You know, girls are becoming a little bit more attractive. Your your uh, attention starts going elsewhere. Right. So for you to stick with it is huge. And people often ask me, they're like, how'd you how'd you turn pro skateboarding? Right. And I said, never quit. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody else quit. I just never quit. Right.
1: That is truly the essence of the, that's the secret. Is You just need to find your passion, Um, and it's not work at that point, you know, you just love doing it. I can never see a day that I would get
0: tired of training and wanting to be a better martial artist. And so, you're you're 16, you're getting into training and whatnot. When did uh, you decide to go into a competition, to start measuring your skills against others? Well,
1: uh, my instructor was a little bit unique in the sense that um, he didn't really believe in tournaments. Um, so I didn't have the pleasure of some of my other friends who were on the martial arts circuit on a regular basis going every weekend competing against some of the best martial artists in the Chicago area, Detroit area. A lot of phenomenal point fighters came out of that era. Um, he typically would take me to somebody's martial arts school, and there'd be four or five black belts in there, and I had to line up, and I had to fight all the black belts. So it was like one man against the whole school, and that was the, that was custom at the time. Everybody Everyone did that, and that's how I... Acquired the um, necessary tools um, to be an efficient, efficient martial artist and efficient fighter.
0: All right, because you know uh, I, I equivocate. You know, martial arts to skateboarding. You know, skateboarding is a very personal thing. You know, you're not competing most of the time against anybody but yourself. Right. You know, when you when you're trying a new trick or jumping down a set of steps or whatever, most of the time it's just for a personal gratification. You ain't getting a paycheck, and you ain't you know you're gonna go home with a huge smile and a bunch of scars, and you're right. gonna be happy when you get in the shower and it burns because it just reminds <laughs> you of what you went through right. to land that trick the one time. Martial arts is very much a personal journey, and so competition, I I I can relate a little bit with. Uh, what your how your instructor was trying to handle that
1: yes yeah and I um but I was mentioning to you earlier he was a practitioner of doing what he preached so if he had us do a thousand jumping jacks or a thousand pushes that day he dropped down and did it with us um and that that instilled that in me and I still do the same thing today whatever my students do I do um, and if you stay active, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe in that that philosophy.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. We're sitting here with Harris Edwards, Jr., and I'll tell you what, we're just getting started. We are just getting started. Harris, eighty two, 82, uh, you won the Super Kicks kickboxing. You were the Super kick kicks, kicks kickboxing champion. What is that like for our viewers? I mean, we don't hear kickboxing... Uh, it sort of stayed under the radar when MMA came in and stuff. So what does it mean to be the champion? Right. Well, I mean it was, it was a good honor. I mean a great honor actually back then.
1: Um, kickboxing um, was pretty big during that time, but not as big as it was in Canada. Canada kickboxing was like football over here. It's ma- It was massive. Um, so uh, Kerry Roop, um was a legendary kickboxer here out of, out of Michigan um, had a um, competition. I forget what it was titled, but a lot of people would go out into his ring and compete. And I had an opportunity to compete against one of um the um, champ, current champion at that time, uh, Asian young fella, and uh, I won the match and got my first title. Um, it was pretty cool. Um, that was a very unique experience for me because as a martial artist in our system, we were one of the few people who were doing sweeps and takedowns and submissions and using grappling techniques way back in the seventies. And so I'm short and I, Although I was a lot faster than everybody else, a lot of times I couldn't reach them unless I bridged the gap. So when I bridged the gap, I would take them down or do a sweep or do a slam. And then that would just blow their mind like, well, that's not fair. What are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm I'm preparing for the street. You're preparing for a tournament. So I got to do what I got to do to win this match inside this room. So you practice what you preach. If I do it in here, I don't have to think about it in the street. Um, So then when I did my first kickboxing match, you can't do any of that. You know, there's different rules. You can only throw punches, that are boxes throw, and you can throw any kick that you wanted. Um, and you could sweep, I think you could sweep the front and back leg. But there were certain techniques you couldn't throw.
0: What about knees, like Muay Thai?
1: Yeah, in the American Kickboxing Association back then, you couldn't throw knees. You couldn't throw knees, you couldn't throw elbows. And I was accustomed to throwing knees and elbows and stomping or whatever needed to get done in the dojo to win the match. So I had to learn how to um, turn all that off Um, And I thought my instructor did a great job in preparing all of us for that because when we tested for our belt ranking, you had to do so many rounds of boxing, so many rounds of just kicking, and so many rounds of grappling, and then so many rounds of everything goes. And if you were in the boxing part of the testing protocol and you threw a kick, it would count against you and vice versa.
0: All right. Well, I know uh, I started watching kickboxing with my dad probably around this time. And my dad was into any fighting sports. We watched some boxing, we watched some kickboxing. He, I think, I even watched the first like MMA event in Denver with Hoist Gracie, and like yep. just it was an all no rules. Anybody yeah. can sign up and fight yep. any any way you can to walk out of the ring alive. You know, exactly. my dad was into that, so I I got to watch kickboxing quite a bit, and I was impressed just. Just how I mean, uh, it, it's an incredible stamina. I mean, flexibility. Yes. Uh, the rules keep you honest. Yes. And and you definitely and their strategy as well. Right. Yeah. The rules are real strict. Um, if you break them, it's like anything else. You get a warning.
1: You know, if you get more too many warnings, you get a point deducted. If you get too many points deducted, you may get disqualified. Um, so staying within the the um confinements of the rules are very important. And if you practice it regularly, you know, you, it's kind of hard to break the rules. You know, but a lot of it can be subjective, depending upon the center ref. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. As with any uh, competitive sport, the ref always has his uh, his leanings, if you if you will. Now, uh, you know, with kickboxing, I'm sure the purse money wasn't like seven figures, and you're living in a mansion. So there was something you were doing to uh, pay the bills. How did you get into law enforcement, man? Um, Well, uh,
1: my mother and I grew up in Detroit. Um, on the east side, then on uh, north end and east side, and I always share the stories that we have about 22, 22 TVs that were stolen out of our home as I grew up in the streets of Detroit. So it was very uh, common for me to come home and find out a window was broken out, a side door was broken out, and I was um, pretty much a single child. I have a half brother, uh, we didn't grow up together, and so I would come home and have to defend our home and go in that house, scared half out of my mind. Um, and I'm thinking, man, at some point in time, I would like to be able to make a difference in the neighborhood, make a difference somehow. And that's kind of how I ended up getting in law enforcement. I was always that kid in high school that was breaking up fights, you know, watching a guy hitting a woman and thought that was completely disrespectful. So I would jump in and pull him off. And I started thinking, man, you know, people get paid for doing this. <laughs> so um, I happened to uh, be coming back from a, a semester of grad school out of University of South Florida. And I decided to come back to Michigan and make Michigan home again. And I ran into some state troopers um at a um hotel downtown Detroit where I was working. These guys came in there looking super sharp. I had never seen police officers look that good before in my life. They were all fit and fiddled, shoes polished up, and they approached me and we got to talking and I told them what my background was and they're like, you're the kind of guy we need in the Michigan State Police. And the rest is history. I applied for it and got in. They asked me if I have any friends that were under the same you know, upbringing. I go, I do. Uh, so it was my best friend. Ended up applying six months later. Um, I, I put in 25 years and two days in that agency. Started off as a trooper like everybody else. Um, our agency has, happens to have one of the best law enforcement agencies in the country, if not the world. It's a very long academy. Um, and When I graduated, started working over in the Lansing area. and I've been there pretty much ever since. Traveled a, quite different places in the state and ultimately end up in the field of polygraph in the state police. Um, I'm actually the second African-American in the polygraph for the Michigan State Police and love that career. Still do polygraphs now in the private sector Um, and I retired but put in like 19 years in the polygraph field and seven years on the road as a trooper.
0: How accurate are they?
1: Extremely.
0: Yeah, you extremely. hear people. I think it's the guilty people who say they're not accurate, you know? I've never had a polygraph test, but, uh, you know, you always hear, well, they're not that accurate, and I usually equivocate that to, well, that's because you're guilty and you're trying to fake out the machine. <laughs> yeah,
1: they're extraordinary e- extremely accurate. That's why they're still around. That's why everybody uses them. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. brought up
0: going to school in South uh, Florida. What were you studying in college? Um, I studied, I started off with, um, uh, Industrial
1: and Automotive Design was my first major, and then I transferred over to um, Psychology, and then my Industrial and Automotive Design ended up being my minor. Um, so I I went over. to went to um, Center for Creative Studies, College of Art and Design, right there on East Kirby in Detroit. Um, then I ended up over at Wayne Wayne um, County Community College for a few classes. You know, did really good there. Then I ended up in Clark Atlanta University, which actually was called Clark College. Now it's Clark Atlanta University in Atlanta. Um, got my bachelor's there and made my way back home, then we went to grad school over in the University of South Florida. And uh, grad school for? Um, rehab counseling, did a year there. I didn't really like the program, it was okay, I'm like, eh, this, isn't, this is not what I thought it was, but it was a great program. Um, they foot the entire bill while I was there, for the year I was there,
0: then I decided to come back home and, and pursue law enforcement. Awesome. Awesome. And yes, I'm very familiar with Center for Creative Studies. I actually had a scholarship my first year at Wayne State uh, for weekend classes at CCS cuz my background was uh, design, industrial design and nice. that's what that's what I started. And I still do graphics. I still illustrate and create and do I those do things, you know. It's it's a great outlet.
1: It is. Yes, yeah, I, I still do the same thing and um, use my iPad to do a lot of my little cre- creativity. It's still in my bloodline. A lot of artists in our family. You know, and some of it have taken it to the next level. So it's been a great choice.
0: I got to ask the Do you play a musical instrument? I'm just asking because no, it seems like it seems like it should fit into that equation. You know, I don't no, know.
1: I am definitely not musically inclined.
0: <laughs> just seemed like it. I had to ask a question. We're sitting here with Harris Edwards Jr. And I'll tell you what, you know, I think people who probably know him when they watch this show... We'll learn something new because already we've learned that uh, law enforcement, art, creativity, freaking kicking people's butts in the ring. I mean, there's a lot going on here, and we just scratched the surface here on the drop in. Um, You know, being a retired Michigan police, uh, a state trooper, actually. what do you see going on in the, in the current uh, landscape of things? Because I think police are getting a bad rap. I really think they are. You, you, have, you have experienced, I, I believe, one of the most dangerous jobs on the planet. Oh, and no every question. time you walk out the door to go to work, your life is at risk. Yes. Um, what, what can we do? What can we do as citizens to start getting that kind of, uh, I don't know, growing up? I could always go to an officer and ask him a question. I felt comfortable with that my whole life. too. And w- any advice for our viewers on what we can do to get that back? Because uh, yeah, police officers get a bad rap.
1: Yeah, I think it all, you know, bottom line, I think everything stems at home. It starts there. It starts with the um, your, your parents putting you in, in the proper place. Um, you know, my mom was of the old um, analogy of, you know, you do what she says, or you pay the consequences. I was more afraid of what my mom would do to me than what DPD would do. Um, and, and in the long run, it worked out. You know, um, she had she had her head on straight and made sure that I did righteous things. And if I didn't, I paid the consequences. Um, there's, I like to say that there's good cops, there's bad cops, there's good doctors, there's bad doctors, there's good teachers, there's bad teachers, and everything in between. Every profession, every Every color, every
0: freaking, it doesn't matter. There's good and there's bad and everything.
1: Um, And I have two boys, you know, two young young men that I'm extremely, my wife and I are extremely proud of. Um, And, you know, they've been taught to do things the right way. And if they were to get pulled over, how to respond, I don't want my kids to end up being a statistic. Mm -hmm. um, Because they moved a certain way and they got shot because they were reaching to get... The registration, so they know where to put it in the car, they know where to keep their hands. They have been lectured about this way before they even knew how to drive a car. So it was ingrained in their head just to to reduce the probability of something unfortunately happened to them. Um, You know, the people who complain about police, some of it is righteous. They have a a right to do that, Mm -hmm. you know, and they should, um, because we don't need bad cops. We don't need cowards for police officers. Um, and if we can take care of that problem the part take care part of it, part of itself but people just have to um show respect you know mm-hmm. just go back to old school yes sir no ma'am open the door for the ladies you know is
0: not dead again it seems pretty simple it seems pretty simple and it doesn't take a it doesn't cost Anything to be nice. It costs nothing, nothing to be kind to people, and and I live by that. It's funny when you're talking about your parents. I'm like, I could still hear what it sounded like when my dad <laughs> pulled the belt out of his belt straps. Ooh. Even if I gave the wrong look, or being in the grocery store, my mom didn't even have to say a word. She right. just give me the look. Right and I knew (laughs) I better not take one more step towards the line. I hadn't even crossed the line yet. I better not go towards
1: the line. Yeah, well, the new generation is a little, that's an interesting topic in itself. Um, You know, the
0: hands-off mentality is um, um, sport ride. I I have to agree, and we might have to do a whole another show on that. <laughs> we definitely might have to. Uh, you know, you hold the record as if uh, kicking butt and winning championships for decades and decades. You hold the record for the hundred meter dash. Why Why did you even do it? Um, I, I ran track in high school. Um, I was probably in the
1: top three fastest kids in, on the high school team the, the, the year that I told that I ran. I love sprinting. I, I love anything I do with speed. Um, I discovered a long time ago that I was gifted with fast twitch muscles. Um, so I ran in high school, uh, ran a little in college. Um, when I graduated from the Michigan State Police Academy, they had the um, Michigan Police and Fire Games. So this was an opportunity to go out and showcase how quick I was and, you know, win some medals. So I actually ended up winning tons of 100-meter dash medals and I actually have the all-time um, record for the obstacle course, for completing it the quickest. Um, and then we have a local track and field event in my in our community that keeps track of the records and I, I have the 100 meter dash record for for our age group at the time um, and then I got both my sons involved in the track and field and of course martial arts and they they've taken the track and field to a whole nother planet
0: it's very interesting you know we had Cole Seeger here in the studio a few weeks ago and that's uh his dad is Bob Seeger the you know big rock star and when your father or another family member overachieves or or takes their passion to a certain level, Right. sometimes you're not sure how how, uh, kids will handle that. Run the other way, be a part of it, use what you've done to strive with whatever they're passionate about. It's very interesting that your kids gravitated towards what you were doing. Yeah, I
1: I, um, I often get asked, you need to write a book on how you made this happen so successful with your two boys. I say, well, my wife and I had a plan, and it worked. I mean, it it worked for us. Doesn't mean it's going to work for the next person. Um, but I'm a firm believer in that if you, you know, if you do something right, and they pick up on it, and they see that you love it, they'll probably love it as well. I didn't force either one of my kids to be martial artists. I, as a dad, I was hoping they would be. You know, I mean, I love to train my kid to be a black belt. Both of them, this would be amazing. I love to get them in the track and field and all this action stuff that I like, I like to do. Um, but whatever sport they would choose to do, I'm there 100% of the time. Um, it just so happened that my oldest son, when he was two years old, fell in love with martial arts. I literally have video of him at three years old kicking and punching with good, clean technique. It's kind of funny. And um, so my yo- youngest son gravitated as well. He ventured off a little bit for a year and decided to come back back to the tree. And, um, and to make a long story short, both my kids end up being multi-world champions. My oldest son's a five-time world champion. Younger son's a two-time world champion. Um, and they learned everything they know about martial arts from dad. And that in itself is just a crazy honor. You know, um, they could have drifted off somewhere else. I've been fine with that. You know, I, I exposed them to track and field. and. Um, both of them are way better at track than I will ever have been. They're amazing athletes.
0: I don't know the hundred meter dash. They got some uh, big <laughs> shoes to fill, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, they they, they, they have uh, surpassed my track abilities. I'm, I'm quick, but they're quicker. Speaking of quick, where does uh, PD Quick come from? PD Quick comes from my uh, from my grandmaster Anthony Garrett. When I when I earned my second degree black belt, um, he presented me with my second degree black belt, and on that black belt said PD Quick, which stands for pretty damn quick. Um, and that's always been my been my secret. Anyone who knows me as a fighter knows that speed is how I win.
0: Even to this day, I watch yeah. some of the videos, and and even today, as we sit, you have some of the quickest hands I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's
1: just um, once again, it's fast twitch. It's a, it's a gift. People, I people say, well, how can you make me faster? I say, well, you know, if you're a long distance runner, you have slow twitch muscles. You can run forever, you know. If you got if you're a sprinter, you have fast twitch. If you're a sprinter and you go out and start doing, gym, if you're a gymnast, you have a lot of fast twitch muscles. If you go out and start doing a whole lot of distance running, you're going to start depleting your fast twitch muscles. So you, you
0: stick to activities that require you to be explosive. When I was born, my legs weren't like quite right. Uh, I had to wear braces on my legs. And at a certain point, the doctor said, you know, he has deformed femurs. But he's probably gonna be a hell of an athlete. Just gonna to have to soak him in a tub after. Wow. And I started playing hockey at four and ended up being a drafted ice hockey goaltender. And, and, and really, athletics has always been part of my life. But yeah, sitting in a tub to have my muscles, my knees come back together. My, uh, it's pretty cool when you can fall in love with something that your body is made for and it sounds oh, yeah. like that's exactly what has happened in your life. Yeah. Well actually gymnastics was probably my
1: gymnastics and acrobatics was probably my first love as an athlete. You know, my friends they were very good at basketball and baseball and football and we played pool and I was okay at some of those sports and I was quick in track and field. Um but the acrobatic stuff was I just fell in love. I was a kid that was, while my friends were playing basketball, I was jumping off my mom's house, <laughs> okay? I was on her back roof doing back somersaults off the house. I'd go to my other friend's house and jump off the second-story window and land and roll out, the, out in the front yard and the grass and not get hurt. And I'm like, yep, this is what I'm doing. You guys can play basketball. And then when I ran into my, my martial art instructor, who incorporated that, and Kung Fu incorporates a lot of body control techniques. I'm like, this is for me. You know, So not only do I get to learn how to fight, I get to still understand my body and learn how to fall on, on asphalt and concrete and not get hurt. This is pretty interesting. So it, it inspired me to keep going
0: forward. Now, uh, you know, kickboxing, obviously, contact sport, Yes, you've taken some bumps and bruises, Uh, Is there any advice you could give to people, myself included, how you stay healthy, how you stay limber? Do you have any nagging injuries that you have to deal with on a regular basis, those kinds of things? Yeah, well,
1: (laughs) my injury story is probably, uh, the. it was pretty grueling. I mean, I hurt myself many years ago, probably about 10, 12 years ago now, um, throwing a student um, who was a lot bigger than me, throwing him with a hip toss. And as I was throwing in midair, I realized that he was gonna land on this stretch machine that I had in my dojo, and it no longer had the covering pad on it, and he would have landed on a handle and probably got seriously injured. So I tried to reverse the throw midair. That was a mistake. I saved him from getting hurt, but in process of doing that, I blew my knee out. So he ended up landing on top of me and and I calmly said, um, Jim, you want to get off me? <laughs> Jim goes, what are you talking about? I said, I need you to get off me. I think I just broke my leg. And I said, like, I'm laughing. He goes, yeah, whatever. No, I'm serious. Get off me. So he gets off me, and I'm like, I can't get up. So I kind of dragged myself off the mat. And this was literally, like, 10 minutes into a two-hour martial arts class. So I continued to teach the class and um, had my younger son, Austin, run upstairs and say, go get the ice pack. I'm going to put ice on there and wrap it, and we'll t- continue teaching class. So I did. And about an hour later, I figured I think I can stand up and try something. I got I stood up and tried to throw a kick punch. I fell back down. So probably about four or five hours later, I drove myself to the ready care. And they said, oh, no, you're fine. You didn't tear an ACL or anything like that. That's what, that's what you don't want to happen. You probably just have a really bruised ligament. I was okay, great. So I think that following week, I ended up getting a brace put on it. And then I ended up going to a driving event out at, at um, uh, Gingerman Raceway. And I was out there for like eight straight hours teaching people how to drive their cars. And I'm having fun in in my own car. I'm on a bad knee. Finally got an MRI and x-ray and all that kind of stuff. And they said, oh yeah, you know, you don't have an ACL tear, but you do have some severe uh, meniscus damage. So they cut me open, did the physical therapy, took out like 65% of my lateral meniscus. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, okay, that's a lot. And she says, my doctor says, well, you know, your martial art career is over. She says, there's no way you're going to be able to stand and explode like you used to and dive over cars and all the videos I've seen and you jump stuff. Those, those days are gone. I says, okay. I says, well, I, I beg to differ. You just put me back together and I'll take care of rest. You send me to rehab, I'll be there. And when I'm not there, I'll be doing rehab at my house. So she put me back together. And um, as I'm waking up at the um, operating table in the recovery room, my wife and my pastor, uh, my wife, Kim, and my pastor, Uh, Rev. Curtis were looking at me with this real sad look on their face. I'm thinking, what y'all all all sad about? I'm the one who got cut open. And he says, you don't know? I says, know what? He says, "Um, Dr. Dodd says that your ACL is missing. It's totally ripped off. I said, what are you talking about? She says it was attached. She says, well, the MRI, they missed it. Sometimes you can't see it until you go in there. So that meant 22 more physical physical therapy sessions to get my leg right so I could go back so they could reopen the same leg again and use my patella tendon to rebuild my ACL. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, put me back together. So 45 gold medals later, after the surgery. Wait, between, you're
0: done? No, the doctor yeah, said you were no, done no, 15 yeah, yeah. years ago, <laughs> man. I'm yeah, like, no, we're not. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Says, no, we're not. So uh, she put me back together and I proved it wrong. And she's wonderful, man. She's, um, I can call her any day when I need something. She answers her phone. Um, she's put me back together more than once over the years and I just try to, I find a way to work around it, you know. It's like, you know, um, you got a toolbox and you got a hammer, you can take a hammer and pound the nail in, you know, but you also can get that nail in with a screwdriver.
0: You you get in with some pliers? Our bodies are amazing. <laughs> right. Amazing. And I'm not advising anybody to not go seek medical care if you're hurt. Oh, but no. remember, you have the most amazing machine within yourself. And the power of thought is, is huge. I talk about it a lot on this show. Regardless of what your spiritual beliefs are, who you pray to, whatever it is, just realize the power you have in your thoughts. And Harris is no different. No different. We had uh, Justin Critchfield, a gentleman on the show. Mm -hmm. And he had uh, a snowboard accident, collapsed a bunch of stuff in his spine, had to be carried in a room, out of a room. Met a guy uh, who was a, a Buddhist monk and healed him. And this was... 25 years ago, and he's like, I feel no pain, ever. I'm fine. Wow. And, and he's been snowboarding and doing his thing. I can't explain it. I'm like, we need to get that guy on the show. Let me get his number. But with you, I think it's similar to my story. I was told I couldn't walk in, in 2010. They give me new hips. Steve Eiserman's doctor is like, yeah, you're, you're screwed, Mr. Valley. Um, take pain medication. I'll give you new hips when you can't function. Right. And I ripped off my hospital gown like Hulk Hogan, you know. I was, I was devastated. And I switched some things in my life, my diet, yoga, some different things that I did. Mm-hmm. Started playing hockey three months later. My first uh, 5K was six months later. and Wow. I can't explain it. Nope. All I can tell you is that I love my body, and my body gives that love right back to me. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you know, if nothing beats passion and
1: love, how bad do you really want it? Mm-hmm. You know, how bad do you really want to be a world champion? You know, are, are you training when everybody else is asleep? I am. You know, are you putting in the work while people, you know, early in the morning while people still sleep? I am. You know, if, I, if, if my leg is hurt, it has nothing to do with my other leg and my upper body, so let's train those parts. You know, so I always found a way to keep active, and you have to keep active. If I sit around and do nothing for seven days, I'm hurting. hmm Stuff mm-hmm. starts locking up. You know, I have a host of injuries that are, that are career-ending, um, and most people don't know about them because they don't go around talking about it. You know, not, um, and I don't really care that they know. I just, you know. It's just not a casual conversation, but it's a very ins- inspiring conversation. Um, it's also been very inspirational to my own family, to my own children who've had career-ending injuries. And the first thing they always say to me is that, Dad, you recovered from yours. We can too. Mm-hmm. And they get right back on the horse.
0: Yep, there's no better way, no better way than to live by example. Yep. And every single guest on this show lives a, an amazing example for all of our viewers across the world to to set their bar, bar a little higher, or to say, hey, you know, Harris Edwards Jr. did it. I can do that as exactly. well. And that's that's what I hope they go come away from this show with. Uh, you know, you've done so much. I mean, the medals. I mean, you have to buy a separate house for all the medals. You know, uh, so <laughs> they are, much. they are. They are.
1: They are. Laid out very nicely in my man cave. Yeah,
0: <laughs> mine are in a fifty-gallon drum somewhere, and I can't find them. I'll tell you what—I don't know. They're somewhere. But do you have anything on the bucket list? I mean, you've done a—you've uh, overcame, you've done a ton with the hundred-yard dash, with the medals, with the traveling in a week, with uh, to Niagara Falls. You're continuing to push your envelope. Is there anything that you have any any pinnacle you haven't reached yet that you have?
1: Um, no, not really. I mean, everything um, I do is uh, self gratifying, and I'm a firm believer in if you don't take care of you, you can't take care of the people around you. Amen. So I make sure that I'm happy. If I'm happy within myself, then these zoos are out. So a lot of people that I come in contact with, even at work, they're like, I don't think I've ever seen you come to work angry, you know? And I go, I don't. You know, whatever troubles I had at home or on the way here, I left at the doorstop. Same thing at work. I never take work home. My wife, I mean, I spent twenty five years in the state police. The stories, the things that I could share with people would absolutely blow their minds about criminal activities and how vicious this society has has become. Um, My family doesn't know any of that because I don't bring it home. I didn't want to be part of that statistic, you know, the alcoholic cop. You know, I don't drink. I've never drank. Um, You know, I do martial arts. You know, that's my go-to place when anything else fails. I can always go back to the floor and do push-ups. You know, I can work out in the hotel room. I don't have a heavy bag. But I got a floor. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got a chair. I can do decline push-ups. I got a floor. I can do jumping jacks. I got a floor. I can do shadow boxing. Um, so there's no excuse for not taking care of yourself. None, other than you don't really want to.
0: And that's what I want you guys at home to write down. There is no excuse for not taking care of yourself. That's like a Forrest Gump shirt, man. We got to make that (laughs) happen. We have to make that happen. That's a Forrest Gump shirt right there. And speaking of shirts, calm aggression is everywhere. What is this calm aggression? Um, I have have a lot of sayings that people kind of quote me over the years from
1: from my fighting background and things I do. I say to motivate my students when they're fighting, and they've kind of come pretty popular. Um, And then one of them is um, calm aggression. Um, That's kind of how I fight. Um, I I have this really extremely calm demeanor, no facial expression, very relaxed. Um, And then I like to explode from zero to a hundred or zero to a thousand, and then go right back to this calm aggression mode. Um, I use that the same thing when I'm teaching people how to drive in a race car, you know, on the racetrack, you know, getting ready to compete, you know. Pressure breaks pipes. So how well do you deal with the pressure? Now that we got to stop watching in front of you, does everything change? Doesn't change anything. It changes things in your head. Subsequently, now you're going to get the red mist, and you're going to all of a sudden overdrive your technique. So you need to put all that in check. And if you stay calm, but you're not going to win if you're completely calm. you got to have a little edge. And if you got that edge and you can put those two things together,
0: bam, that's the winning formula. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I like the calm aggression philosophy. you know for me, it's uh, I have a good time and I laugh a lot. And when it comes down to contest time, it gets kicked up a notch. Absolutely. It gets kicked up a notch. A friend of mine a few years ago, I hadn't skated a contest in a while, and he skates with me all the time. He's like, as soon as you entered the contest, things changed, dude. Like, you did tricks I ain't never seen you do in the two years we've been skating. I said, there's money on the line, man. I'm still having a good time and singing in my head and smiling and enjoying it. But, you know, things change, man. Right. <laughs> but still having a good time, kicking yeah. it up a notch and yeah. keeping it real, you know. It's 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 interesting how different people deal with, uh, I don't see it as pressure, but I think goaltending helped me a lot, you know, mm-hmm. being the the goalie on ice in front of 5,000 people, Oh no and, doubt. And, and if a goal scores, you know what? <laughs> there's 5,000 people who are here that want to kill you, or right. they're super happy, and, right. and there's some pressure being able to deal with yeah. in that aspect. You bring up uh, uh, driving, teaching people to drive, and I want to get into your coaching a little bit, uh, martial arts and driving. How did you get into uh, coaching people driving and doing that? It um, started with the state police. You know, I
1: I have to give credit back to where it started. I mean, every, every trooper has to go through a driving program. I've seen it. I've seen the uh, facility anyway. Right. And um, when I started, they didn't have that facility. We actually used, I think it was Fort Custer. We went out to this airport, you know, a military base, and you used the big runway to learn how to do skid control and emergency lane changes, things of that nature. Then you actually go out onto the freeway and take your first opportunity to go triple-digit speeds on the freeway with the lights and sirens and... Um, that's what, And I love to drive before then. I'm like, oh man, I get a badge and a gun and I get to learn how to drive properly. This is pretty cool, <laughs> right? right. Um, so the many, many years later, um, I decided I wanted to take that to another level um, and do some instructing um, at the state police. That didn't happen for me. But things have a funny way of working out. So many years down the road, I happened to be, I bought my first BMW, um, and my salesman he, he and I were talking about driving events and he mentioned to me that, hey, you know, BMW has a um, BMW Car Club of America and they put on a driving program. I'm like, really? So I looked at and I'm like, well, that's about three, four grand to go to one of these. He said, oh, no, no, if you get in the club, as a club member, it's pretty inexpensive and you bring your own car. I said, Wait, man, you mean I can take my own car to the racetrack? He goes, yeah, bet. So I ended up trading the car I had in. It was having some difficulties and I ended up getting the car I really wanted, which I actually still own today, 16 years later, was my training tool. Right on. And I, every, I think the first, the first year that I decided that I wanted to do this, I went to six different high performance driving educational schools in one summer.
0: It's got to be addicting, and the adrenaline's got to oh, oh, be nuts. Yeah, it was nuts. I'm like, I'm in.
1: Where, where, where I gotta go? Yeah. And I started doing the math. Okay, I'm not a golfer, but golfers spend about as much as I, I spend probably less than a golfer does, and have just as much fun. Hmm, I could do that so um within i went to my very first driving school and um a guy named perry Chang was my instructor at um uh, waterford hills raceway and um he put up in the car and i i grabbed the steering wheel and i shuffle steer is what i was taught in the state police and he goes hey hey we don't do that here i said what are you talking about he says we don't shuffle steer you gotta be nine and three i said okay so nine and three your hands are here and you're here and he told me the reason why about you can turn the wheel more if you do it this way you don't have to shuffle i'm like okay well I just want to have a good time and learn something new i'm always open to learning so i just turned off what i knew and it became a sponge right on and i went out for my next session and i'm passing people on the track and he tells me come into the pit lane i'm like "Well, what did i do wrong and he says don't no, just pull in the pit lane he says i'm gonna sign you off i said what's that mean he said well that means you don't need me in the car he says you already know what you're doing he says you're go have fun so i went out on the track and drove dressed the, the day my oldest son, who was 10 years old at the time, was videotaping the whole process. So I got it on footage, it was great, right? I'm scared half to death, myself, okay? Because I'm out here, have <laughs> right, nobody in the car with me telling me what to do now, when to break, when to turn, you gonna let me loose? I'm like, oh my God, I'm gonna kill somebody. <laughs> so I ended up having a good time doing that, and the following year, they're like, you know, um, we're looking for instructors, you have to go through an instructor training program. Um, so subsequently, I went through kind of a dual program in one day through the Porsche Club, RSR, Rally Sports Region, and also the BMW Car Club of America through Motor City Chapter. And I went through that program, got certified to instruct, and at that point I start. Because you pay to play. Mm-hmm. I mean, you pay your $50 or your $150, get $250 for the weekend, um, and now as an instructor back then, you get to not only instruct new people, but you don't have to pay to play. So... You play all day. In between your sessions, you go out and play. So I played as much as I needed to play to acquire the necessary skill set. And I kept my resume. I mean, everything I ever did, I jotted it down. I got that from my mom while being very meticulous about things. So I did that, and thank God I did, because years later, I got approached by a guy who says, hey, look, we're looking for some people to come out here to this uh, Ferrari event i like, did you say Ferrari? Right. Even I, <laughs> even
0: I sat up a little higher when you I'm said like, Ferrari. Uh,
1: okay. And I was at Gingerman. It was a Lotus event. And I let this guy leave and didn't get his name. And I'm thinking, what was that? Well, I was instructing somebody. He said, we've been talking to people on the sideline. He said, you're a great instructor. You like to communicate. You communicate real well. And not only are you fast, but you don't have to be fast to be a good instructor. But you have to be a good instructor. I said, great. So I found his name, called him up. They invited me out to um, the Ferrari event. It's a national event. Um, it was in uh, Road America in Wisconsin. I jumped in the car, I drove there, um, got there, and I was in seventh heaven. I would never seen so many Ferraris in my life. I mean, it's like, what is this? This is insane. It's like 400 Ferraris just parked in the grass.
0: And they're not that big. You know, when, you, when I was growing up, everybody had a poster of a Ferrari or something. Right. And the first time I was next to one... Like, this car really ain't that big. That's right. why it's so quick. You know, it's <laughs> exactly. very small. Oh, they're very
1: small. So it was a concourse contest. It was basically a car cleaning contest is what I walked up on. And so these cars are in mint condition. I'm like, wow, look at this. I mean, just in the grass. This is crazy. And everybody's walking around, you know, jotting down. You got dirt on your window, up. that's a point off. You got dirt in your keyhole, that's a point off. And then the next day was the actual instructional piece. And I've never been to this track before. So I was on YouTube trying to find somebody, you know, how, how the track looked. And I went to the track. I said, Somebody's got to teach me how to drive on this track. I need to know when the braking zones are, where the turn zones are. If there's a crack in the road that you guys use to break, I need to know this information because tomorrow i got to instruct people here. So one of the gentlemen who's actually one of the fire rescue people, who's been there forever, took me out, and he knew every square inch of that track. I'm like, dude, thank you. Right. Oh, my God. And I just took all that data absorbed it. The next day I was instructing, that whole week I instructed, it was like, oh my God, you must have been there forever. Never said a word. I'm like, oh, thank you guys. You enjoy yourself. Fantastic. Glad you learned something. <laughs> and that kind of started it. So, I've been doing it ever since. And um, I'm currently um, um, a certified professional high-performance driving instructor. So, I travel all over the United States doing the same thing for a variety of manufacturers. Um, I, work, I do a lot of work with BMW Ultimate Driving Experience. Um, so I travel from east coast to west coast teaching people how to drive I do a lot of work here locally with Robbie Buell um, Who has a, um, a teen street skills school? Which is actually downtown Detroit right next to the um, um, train station, oh. you know, the old transform big old where they shot the transformer movie Yeah, but the parking lot next to that um, they put on a lot of nice programs there teaching the t- kids how to learn how to um Save their lives in cars. We teach them skid control, emergency lane change, all this kind of good braking exercises. Um, so I do a lot of that. I also do the same thing in one concourse. They have a team program there, which is a very, very nice program as well. I spend a lot of time out that track doing a lot of cancer drive events, uh, one-on-one coaching, and a lot of high-performance supercars. You know, as fun as driving is, it's still a weapon. Mm-hmm. You know, it's three four thousand pound weapon that you drive around and that we take for granted. And and unfortunately, in our country, we don't take driving seriously enough. So the, the teaching portion of that is not equivalent to what you really need to know to be safe on the road. Um, and the people who think they know how to drive, I love it when I get parents in the car and they come to the team program and we'll ask them, do you want to participate too with your kid? Nines out of ten, they'll say, yeah, especially the dads, because mm-hmm. they figure they got it all figured out. And we'll put them in a skid car. Um, which what is, is the,
0: a skid car?
1: Well, it's designed to skid very easily. Like the 15-mile-an-hour skid in this car is equivalent to a 40-mile-an-hour slide-out. Okay. So um, I teach a lot of that. So we put them in the car. The kids start driving, and I'll get them up to 50 miles an hour, and they'll do a figure eight or an oval. Um, and the car literally will spin around like it's a basketball if you don't catch it. So we teach them how to catch it. We teach them how to get in this skid and recover from this kid. And we put the parents in the car and watch the parents lose control. And I'm thinking, hmm, Dad, you thought you had this word, huh? He goes, Yeah. I think I need a lot. I got a lot to learn. I see, know. Yeah, I do. think I'm a good driver. I'm a pretty safe
0: driver. I want to come out and take the
1: course just to see what it's like. Yeah. So um, that that occupies a lot of my time um, now that I'm retired from the state, um, which I have been for the past six years, and I love what I do. Um, you know, I, I watched a lot of people that I looked up to growing up in my life that, you know, spent 40, 50 years in their careers and they were miserable for 40, 50 years. They couldn't wait till they retired to enjoy life and I figured that's not really smart.
0: Well, you know, I, I study different people and I read a lot. I read a lot of books. There's a gentleman named Tim Ferriss who talks about lifestyle design mm-hmm. and how you lay out your life. And I think uh, I, I, I'm i seeing similarities. People ask me all the time, you know, about, skate. when are you going to quit skateboarding? I said, when are you going to quit walking? <laughs> that's the best response, there and, you go. and I think because it's been part of my life for so long, and it still does exactly what it did when I was twelve years old. Right, I can go ride my skateboard for an hour. You can tell me anything right now. You're gonna kick my butt in an hour, and I could go ride my skateboard, and I wouldn't even think about that until right. I was done riding. And you've had something like that throughout your whole life, right. with kickboxing, and now you know you're passing it on to younger generations. Yes, that's gotta feel wonderful. Oh, it's amazing. I, I there's nothing there's nothing more gratifying.
1: Mind and to watch a young kid, eyes light up and get it. You know, whether, whether it takes them a month or nine months to get it, everyone's got their own learning curve. You know, I, I'm not on the analogy of, you know, when two months you're going to test for this and three months you're going to test for that. Um, martial arts isn't a, a source of income for me for to live off of. It's a lifestyle. You know, so you get it when you earn it. And that means it takes you six months or nine months to get it. I got you back. And when you got it, you got it. I like it. You know, um, and if you love your job, once again, the saying is it's not like work. Yeah. You know, so I didn't want to go to work and be unhappy. You know, I didn't want to put in a 40-hour week and, and wait, couldn't wait to get home so I could have peace of mind. I had peace of mind when I was at work. I got peace of mind when I came home. That doesn't work for everybody. It doesn't mean there weren't tough days. Trust me, there was tough days, you know, um, but I didn't want to be that guy that was – hitting the nail every day and because I made bad choices this is the only opportunity I had when I had an opportunity to do different things and I just made bad choices. So if you presented some presented a bigger picture you get to pick and choose,
0: and even if you made some bad choices, and I know I have. Oh yeah, we all have. You have the opportunity because it's your choice to handle the rest of your life a little differently and and make some better choices. If you don't like where you are, you, it's your responsibility to change that. Who was your younger student? Your youngest student you ever worked with? Um, I don't honestly remember his name, but he was four years old.
1: No joke. Yep. And his mom was like, oh, is he too young?" I'm like, "No." bring them over. I mean, my kids were two. So technically my youngest students were my own kids. Right. Were two years old. And they literally were two years old and they literally were my students. I mean, they bowed in. We went through meditation. They did the push-ups, the sit-ups. They went through the entire class and they got treated like everybody else. So I can speak on that from my own kids. But outside of my own family, I had a four-year-old kid who I would go to his house and train him privately with his mom and dad there and uh, watch him develop into a, a very intelligent young man. That's was super gratifying I get these phone calls from the kids that I haven't had seen in five years or 10 years. And they call you back and say, man, you remember you told me this and I, how you could apply martial arts to any and everything you do in your life. Because I use that speech all the time. You know, now I'm, I'm the CEO of this company. You
0: and know, see, that's exactly what was going through my head as you're talking. I'm like the personal and discipline. That it takes for anything, but martial arts, especially, I think, this just my opinion, um, translates to the rest of your life. It does. It really does. It does. And you know, and that's, and that's whatever that is, if it's
1: basketball, if it's football. Mm-hmm. You if know, you take
0: anything to a high level, yep. you put it. You have to take. You have to put in the time. Right. And outside of the team, outside of the gym, like what you were saying, you 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 take it so seriously and personally, you will put your own other things off to push the envelope of what, the direction you want to go, and if it's martial arts, if it's skateboarding, exactly. if it's artwork, if it's driving a car, if it's whatever it is, right? and and when you take that personal accountability, I want to be the best I possibly can be, and I'm willing to sacrifice, I do think when you learn that at a young age, like four, like two, even 10, 15 years old, mm-hmm. that translates to the rest of your life. It does. It does. And I I, I get that
1: compliment from the parents all the time, like, you know, that's why I brought my son or my daughter to train with you is because of what you teach. You know, it's not about just a fight. It's about developing, developmental part of your head, your brain, you know, what you're going to do later. And in the meantime, you're taking care of your body. Yeah. You know, um, if you develop that 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 self-confidence, it it exudes from you at your interview. It exudes from you in that promotional interview. It exudes you when you go for a new job. Um,
0: they see it. Well, and science is starting to measure some crazy stuff like the magnetism of our heart, the magnetism of our brain, where we're thinking, the confidence. It's not just like you visually see somebody, it affects everything in the room. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about. We're sitting here with Harris Edwards, Jr. So you're heading to Niagara Falls. What's going on there? We're coming down to the last like four or five minutes of our interview. All right. What's happening in Niagara Falls? Well,
1: Niagara Falls, I'm going to be um, defending um, um, my, my two gold medals. In um, two different uh, two different age brackets, um, the 42 to 47 and the 48 and up um, in the minus 75 um, category, kilograms. Um, I've defended them several years in a row. I'm looking forward to it, looking forward to some good competition, you know, and, and having a good time. I've been preparing for it. Um, this will be another special year for me because my oldest son gets to compete with me again this year. Um... I forget what year it was, but a few years ago, my youngest son got to compete with me on the same stage as well, and we both walked out of there. It was my 52nd birthday. It was crazy because my wife about to lose her mind because she's rooting for my youngest son. I get caught out of the fight in the middle of his, his fight to go get my own ring to fight. Now she don't know who to root for. She's looking between the two of us. It was crazy. Um, that's probably one of the most interesting, proudest moments. Of, and, of course, I shared the gold medal stage with my oldest son, Harris. So um, we're, just, we're very proud parents that we've been able to, do our job and stay together, and um, instill our kids in some very righteous, you know, God-fearing people, and just do good stuff.
0: Right on, right on. If our folks at home want to seek you out for training or your gym, or to, uh, what's the easiest way for anybody to get a hold of you? Facebook. Yeah. Yep, you know, Harris. I'm Harris. that was junior. You know, that's that's my name. It's on
1: the Facebook, and I have a lot of YouTube videos out there. I do I do my hand um, share of um, seminars. You know, throughout the United States, I have people that come here to locally. In fact, I'm leaving here tonight. When I leave here, I'm heading over to um, Canton, Michigan um, to train a young fellow that is on Team USA. And by the way, this is a, a Team USA event that's coming here in Niagara Falls. Um, so everyone in the United States that tried out for the team, that made the team, will be competing. Uh, it's going to be off the chain.
0: Well, you're gonna have to come back and visit us here on the drop-in, and let me know how that goes. Sure, and yeah. and uh, I just want to thank you so much for uh, spending an hour with us here. I learned a ton. I know you guys learned a ton. And. You're amazing, Harris. You are truly amazing, and I'm stoked that you're going to compete uh, in Niagara Falls and that you continue, continue to push your personal envelope and lead by example. That's what this world needs, is more Harris Edwards Jr. in the world, because leading by example, I think, makes a huge impact. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we'll see you very soon. And I will see you very soon this show just gets me hyped i got goosebumps on my whole body you hear me talk about it all the time it's an honor for me to be sitting here at this nrm mic and bring each guest to you weekly to inspire you to get off your damn couch and make life happen it's not a dress rehearsal you get one shot let's make the most of it together i am gerald valley and this is the drop-in